0: Part of the deal of being human means forming and authoring a belief system and coming up with a set of beliefs that feel true, that sound true, that resonate with who you are. Now, I said formed because some of our beliefs are part of our upbringing and who raised us and where we were raised and the things that we came into contact with. You can think of you know somebody who's encountered a lot of Injustice is probably going to have a lot of beliefs about the world being unjust. As we get older, we hopefully get the ability to start checking and challenging and authoring beliefs and getting to develop a relationship with ourselves where we get to listen and trust and believe that inner voice that feels right to us. And it's not a, a quick process and it's not a simple one-time process. This is something that we will be doing for the rest of our lives if we are putting attention on it. I have actively noticed several beliefs where I just realized I don't think this is serving me. I don't think viewing the world in this way is actually helping me live the life I want to live and trying to reauthor those beliefs. Well, today's guest is Matthias Roberts. And he's really become one of my people, one of my friends, one of the people who I contact when I'm having questions about being a creator. Matthias and I met at our friend's wedding, Tori and Alex, and we quickly realized that we were both podcast people and just started talking and we kind of hit it off. And I also got the chance to meet some listeners of Matthias's podcast who also happened to be at the wedding and got to see the impact his program was having. You see, Matthias is a homosexual. That's not even the scary part. The scary part is Matthias is also a Christian. (laughs) And I'm just playing around. But traditionally, faith-based communities haven't always been the safest or most hospitable places for people who identify as being LGBTQ. And his program is called Queerology, if I haven't mentioned that already. And it's about people who identify as being queer or gay or bisexual or trans and who also want to be people of faith and to find a way to make a healthy relationship between the two and be able to worship the way they want to worship. I was really excited to get Matthias on the program to talk about his beliefs, his life, his work, because he's a home builder and he's building a home for people to inhabit spiritually. And part of our deal, part of our responsibility as humans is to build a world for ourselves and for our people to live in. And I think Matthias is a wonderful home builder. So here is my conversation with Matthias Roberts, host
1: of Queerology. Say some random stuff. Testing one, two, three. Uh this morning I drank a lot of coffee and I'm gonna drink more. Because that's what I normally do. And I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> keep going yesterday i went back to church for the first time in a year and that was an experience you haven't gone to church in a year no i mean it's been way longer than it's been longer than a year actually yeah wow yeah okay why i i have a very complicated relationship with church and it's it's been a source of so much pain that I eventually got to the point of where I just let myself take a break and said, you know what like it felt right yeah it did and I'm really glad that I did that because I think it helped me I don't know if it helped me work through some stuff but it gave me some distance and it
0: was good all right, let's kick this off all right
1: yeah. hey everybody we are at the Seattle School of
0: Theology and Psychology they've lent us a room Mostly because Matthias went here and paid them a lot of money to go, <laughs> so to, go to school money. here. Yes. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but we have a room and I have Matthias here. And so Matthias. It is Matthias. Matthias. Yeah. Wow. I've called you Matthias to your Facebook. You know, I haven't corrected you before, Okay. So, <laughs> so that's okay. my fault. It's not your fault. You have Matthias here. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't do any like Instagram videos. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Okay, Matthias. Yeah, who are you?
1: Who am I? That's a hard question and to answer because it depends on so many different factors. I think the obvious answer is I'm human, but I notice that changing and switching, like the the manifestations of that, depending on who, what group of people I'm with. Um, so some of the ways I describe myself, I am gay. Um, I'm a person of faith, primarily within the Christian tradition, although I have complicated relationship with faith, um, but it's something that's important to me. Uh, I'm cisgender, I'm white, uh, I live in Seattle. Uh, those are all descriptors.
0: When you look into the mirror on a long night mm. and you're staring back at yourself,
1: who do you feel like? Who are you? Mm. I... Feel like a beautiful person. And it feels weird to say it out loud,
0: but it's almost like you're not supposed to,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. But I think on those nights when I'm when I'm looking in the mirror and and really looking at myself, there's that sense of wow, this is beautiful.
0: My relationship to the mirror has gotten really healthy too. I wrote a piece a couple years ago called Mirror Mirror, mm. and it was. I think talking about my history with mm. the mirror, mm-hmm. which has traditionally not been a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. One day I want to produce mirrors that just say, let's be
1: friends. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love that.
0: But I've started to, yeah, see something looking, looking back at me that I also find beautiful and, mm-hmm. and love and definitely have a lot of compassion for
1: mm-hmm.
0: is I think the na- I had a Christmas this year. Mm-hmm. That's like the the word of the day is compassion for myself. Mm-hmm. And I saw my family, which is a pretty typical dysfunctional family, like normal level of dysfunctional. I don't want to paint a picture that it's crazy. And rather than get upset that like my childhood was, you know, we didn't have, we don't do like great Christmases. It's like Charlie Brown Christmases. And I just had, I just said, wow, you survived this. You know? mm. Like I felt so compassionate towards that little kid and be like. You didn't have the the stability you wanted, or the this that you wanted, but you really made it through. Mm-hmm. It was almost like looking at all the problems
1: mm-hmm. and being grateful for it. It's the weird thing about compassion. Yeah, is it doesn't necessarily make it "quote unquote" better, but it turns it into something manageable, something that you're almost proud of, like. I think that's been my journey. Self-compassion has been a whole lot of that, of just learning that process. and
0: Yeah. It's an incredible on, thing. On the outer level, one thing to mention is that you are the host of Queerology. Yes. Which is a podcast about queer people of faith. Yeah. Is that the mm-hmm. title? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I guess I didn't realize that you had, we support Queerology. Mm-hmm. You're one of the creators that I really want to exist in the world and I like what you're doing. But I guess I hadn't actually listened to enough to understand that a that you did, that you do still have a complicated relationship to Christianity. Mm-hmm. I thought you were Matthias Christian uh-huh. thought leader, gay, right? right. You know, uh-huh. and I would love to talk about that.
1: Yeah, I I feel so. I feel like there. That's almost a paradox in my life of where my Christian faith is something that I don't know that I'll ever necessarily let go of, uh, and I, and I haven't had a, a period of where I haven't identified as Christian, and. Angle forever be complicated. So it's that that weird. It's a weird mix of the two, because being gay, being queer, there really is no. There's no other place in the world that oppresses people as much as the church. That that may or may not be true, but the church is a primary place of oppression for queer people. The Christian church, uh, and and I was raised in that context, and so learning, having to learn how to undo what I consider to be my faith and become confident in who I am as as a queer person, as a gay man, I think forever has changed the way I look at the church and, and this idea of divinity and the church reflecting divinity. Those are two different things. And, and sometimes the church's reflection is very off, uh, And it's hard to find faith spaces where I see those things align in a way that feels truly good in the world, if that makes any sense. You are the first person that
0: actually introduced me to what affirming meant. Yeah. Um, And before then, I just thought it was kind of, there were groups that were publicly against being queer or LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. And then there were groups that were Flexible mm-hmm. or that kind of preached a uh, ambiguous message that left room for people to not be offended right? in the service. Like I think of um, some of the big Christian voices that have a very welcoming feel and they'll even mention like moments of compassion. But then the second you introduced me to what affirming meant, which affirming means you're not going to hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> like, not that we are so great for being compassionate of you totally, but that there's actually not something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. That's a a topic that's really interesting to me. And so how do you push the bar and continue to go up against, uh, against the stream and kind of, I just follow a couple of groups that I've found through your posting. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to kind of make people draw the lines and, and, why do you continue to push why do you t- continue to push energy into that specifically as opposed to just going after the pure hatred
1: mm mm mm-hmm. because i think there there are a lot of people in in church spaces today who don't know what they believe uh who have been who've been taught their entire lives or however long they've been in the church that d- being gay lgbtq is a quote unquote sin uh, but they haven't gotten any actual true teaching about that so it's like there's a handful of verses there's this is the common consensus and i think there are a lot of people in this world who have that kind of gut feeling of like there's something not quite right about this but they they don't have the the information the uh or even really the desire to necessarily go out and search after theology or, or teaching that would help them change their beliefs so I, I think by making that affirming theology accessible for for those people for those people who are kind of like i don't like i've never studied this I, this is what i've been told i just go with this because that's what i've been told but when they encounter something different and say wait a second this lines up with what my gut instincts are. Like this is actually what loving people is. Uh, we can see the harm that th- these other beliefs are doing. Those people are much more likely to change and become affirming, not just welcoming, but affirming. And I think the more and more people, it's kind of that that critical mass or Gladwell's tipping point. That kind of idea of what we, once we reach. A, a critical mass of those people, is much more likely to, ha- to topple the whole system. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of the low hanging fruit in a way. And if,
0: there, if there's somebody who does identify as LGBTQ or somebody who really wants to be in an affirming space, what is the, the actual, your actual question to ask to make sure that you're actually in a space? Yeah. What would you ask your, your faith leader? To make sure that you're actually in a space that is affirming. Totally. Not just accepting. Yeah.
1: It's, there are a few questions. One, if, well, if you're married, like our, my partner and I welcome here. Most pastors will say, well, of course you're welcome here. If you're not married, this one is really easy. Like if I ever get into a relationship, will you marry me? Mm-hmm. They say no, or if they hedge it or say in an email, like, let's go out for coffee. Uh, you can usually assume, no, you're not affirming. Um <laughs> If another one is, can I be on leadership if I want to be on the board or the elders or like any of those kind of church structure, hierarchy, leadership positions, like, am I welcome to do that? Being in a gay committed relationship, a queer relationship, if they say no, they're not affirming like you're welcome here, but you can't like you can maybe serve on the parking committee, but you can't do anything else. Like, no, they're not affirming. Those are kind of the big ones. Am I allowed in leadership? Will you marry me?
0: Interesting. Is there a question that you ask about the afterlife, or is that no? No, that's just a. The weed out questions are if they'll participate, yeah. and will they let you participate? Right. And just to have resources in one place, what besides following you and queerology? What are quick resources for people to plug in if they do want to invest time being a part of this?
1: Yeah, I'll list a couple. Uh, one directly related to this this conversation of finding faith communities that are affirming, uh, there's a there's an organization called Church Clarity, just churchclarity.org. I've been to their website. It's yeah, great. That yeah. just rates churches. And, it, and it's not a values-based rating, but it's a, are they clear about their policies about women in leadership and LGBTQ people? If they are, whether it's a yes or no to answer those questions, if they are clear about it, then they get a clear rating. And it's just a database of churches in the U.S., anything in Canada and some other parts of the world. It's super easy to find out whether they're affirming or not. Uh, Organizations, I really like the work that um, both Q Christian Fellowship, uh, it's a community of LGBTQ people who identify as Christian in one way or another, pretty broad spectrum there. They do really interesting work. And then an organization called the Reformation Project, whose goal is to, and they're not, they just say this, like their goal is to make every faith community affirming uh, in the world. Like this is a big goal, but that's what they're working towards is let's get rid of this toxic theology. Uh, and so they do a lot of training and and really more in-depth kind of scholarly academic work of how, how do we actually equip ourselves to be change makers in this world. Um, so those three organizations.
0: I mentioned this while we were having coffee before the conversation, but I look at you, the word I use for you is home builder. Mm. And I guess you could say like community leader, but that does, I feel like the work that you're doing is trying to build a home in an in, inhospitable place. Yeah, And I'm not sure that would be my approach. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm much like, let's burn this whole thing <laughs> down kind of guy. <laughs> and I've had, I've gone from, identifying with being christian and very much using the the christian images and christian um oh god i'm so not practiced mm. uh framework yeah to being very atheist mm. very very atheist almost let's let me tear down your faith yeah kind of atheist right the worst of the worst i don't know <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um to somebody who is some mix of it all where, you know, some days I feel agnostic. I really love trying to plug into things bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. I really feel like consciousness is amazing. You throw billions of consciousnesses together. And I do like to try and find things bigger than myself and try and find a spiritual connection to something that at least leaves me the feeling that we are connected and that I'm not alone and I've noticed that I do better mm-hmm. when I'm quote unquote spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very, you know, when people dig, I'm very much like, you know, I'm not that interested in the object, objective truth. Right. And I'm glad that there are people that focus on objective truths, mm-hmm. but I am interested in results, quite yeah. frankly. And we mm-hmm. have a short time period here. Mm-hmm. And I happen to do better with faith yeah, and something greater than myself. Right. And, you know, just because we, it's like, in my eyes, we don't give enough credit to just results. And, right. You know, in the medical industry, they say placebo like it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And if people's belief is something to test drugs, actual is supposed to be drugs that are supposed to have efficacy. If belief is a quantifiable thing to go up against, yes, that says something to me. Yeah, that is a force of nature. Right, belief in itself. Mm-hmm. So take us through your journey a bit just so I can get to know where you came from mm-hmm. and how you got to this place you are now where you're talking publicly about faith. I mean mm. that's a uh, it's like a bold rock to
1: stand on. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I I was I was born to parents who had kids later in their lives who converted to christianity later in their lives uh, and who were very sold out on it and so their entire lives at least as long as i have known them have been in ministry contexts. and so I, I grew up in the church i grew up in conservative church i was homeschooled we we kind of did the whole I, I say borderline fundamentalist. I don't think we were quite in the fundamentalist camp, but we were almost there. It was very close to that line, uh, and I, I loved it. I didn't know anything different until I realized I was gay. Until I started realizing, like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was in Boy Scouts, and uh, me and too. I, were you? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I was, you know, what, 10, 11, and it, we were all hitting puberty adolescence somewhat at the same time. Like, and being around guys who were who a little bit older, who were, who were talking about women, and it, it started registering with me like, wait a second. Like, these things that you're describing about feeling for women, I'm feeling for you. And that was my first clue that something is horribly wrong. Uh, and that's exactly what I thought like there's something horribly wrong with me. Yeah uh, and and I was I I started bargaining I think uh, oh okay with God because I didn't have language for it I didn't know it was called being gay. I didn't know I don't even know that I necessarily knew the word homosexuality like I I was so sheltered but I knew that that something wasn't right and so I would just lay in bed at night and and beg God like take this away from me like I just want to be normal quote-unquote normal and then like girls like that's like it seems like everyone else can do that like why can't why can't I and of course that didn't happen so years of bargaining came out to my parents when I was 15 somewhat accidentally Just spent the next few years came
0: out as a teenager yeah oh that's interesting
1: okay I my, my mom was cleaning my room and I had checked out a book from the library that was called working out and it's from the 80s it's it's muscle mag oh yeah oh, <laughs> like yeah. It, it's very thinly disguised homoerotic I mean just full-page spreads of guys wearing next to nothing and and my mom I think knew immediately and she and she called me downstairs and it's like I found this book in your room why do you have it and and I told her it was because I like guys and my parents were devastated they didn't they didn't know what to do thankfully they gave me a really big hug and said we'll work through this together Um, which is n- incredible, actually, n- knowing that so many other people who are in similar camps as my parents just immediately kick their kids out. Yeah, you can be met with some violence. Yeah. Even if it's just emotional violence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so the next few years was, was spent just trying to figure that out with my parents, which, which went along a kind of more ex-gay approach. In terms
0: of finding your identity through those years was it very much just to clarify and i i know that um for instance your parents were doing the best they could absolutely with the framework it sounds like they were trying they did yeah they were they were trying hard were you guys trying to figure it out still as a problem or Mm -hmm. figure out how to come
1: together as a family we were trying to figure it out as a problem yeah that's tough yeah a problem to be solved mm-hmm. um, we didn't tell my sisters it was it was me my parents i think they told our pastor i don't actually know uh, so my parents would like slip me books when my sisters weren't looking and they were all because that was at the height of kind of the ex-gay movement happening within christian churches at the time this idea that sexuality can change with enough prayer with enough therapy with enough willpower you can change your sexuality uh, and we bought into that. Of course, we did. We were we were told and being sold all of these stories of people who had done it before, most of which turned out not to be true. But it was a problem to be solved, something to be fixed, and I wanted to fix it.
0: And so, what are what are the next steps between there and who you are
1: now? Yeah. I went to undergrad uh, and that oh, was the first shit. time. Yeah. like, <laughs> uh, My parents really wanted me to go to a Christian school. I was really hesitant about that, but we ended up finding a school that we mutually agreed on. And so I ended up going to a Christian school and they had free therapy. And so I I jumped into therapy and literally the first day of therapy told my therapist like, I struggle with homosexuality. That was my language. I struggle with homosexuality. Yeah. yeah. And I want to change that. And th- this feels to me like the grace of the divine that I ended up with a therapist who didn't buy into any of the ex-gay stuff. So I'm here at this conservative Christian college where the policy of the, of the school is you you cannot be in a relationship if you're gay. And I wind up with a therapist who says back to me, this is probably something that will never change in your life. So our work is going to be, how do you accept this about yourself? And and then how does that relate to your faith? Uh, how do we work with those things as opposed to trying to change it? And that was the first day I remember walking out of there and feeling this weight lifted off my shoulders of, I don't have to change this because it hadn't been working. In fact, it was getting "quote unquote" worse, <laughs> and that started the process of of learning how to accept myself and learning there's nothing wrong with me. Uh, and then it's progressed further from. So I bought into kind of the the celibacy myth of, which is also something that's really popular and common in, in Christian churches right now. Is they've kind of moved to this this stance of. Be gay, just don't slay. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. And so I was celibate for a while and thought that would be my path, thought a relationship was just not going to be in the cards for me. Uh, but then I started diving into theological beliefs and and really working with uh, the Bible, with, with my sacred text, and wrestling with it instead of with myself. And after years, got to a point of where it's like, no, I think this is actually okay. I think there's freedom here. Uh, and not just like permission, but abundance, abundant life promised for anyone. And I went and did a master's degree in theology, master's degree in psychology, started really working with it in, in more formal ways and um, got some training. And here I am trying to help others do that as well. That skipped over a lot, but <laughs>
0: no, yeah. I so there's like a natural order of things, right? Which is normally your, and this is these are ideas that I'm toying with and writing about personally. But there's there's normally this framework of having a childhood and getting to make mistakes and getting mm-hmm. to find yourself, and you, you, the idea is like there's this safe time to figure all this stuff out, mm-hmm. and then we'll send you off into the world a dumb eighteen year old, but at least with some sense of identity. Right. And for me I was personally high and drunk mm-hmm. from 12 to 22 mm-hmm. and when I got sober. And so it's very awkward to start figuring out how to be a human as an adult. Yeah. It's also awkward to I mean I think most people find their identities at this age but it's there's you know at the ages from like I don't think I think real identity comes after that period. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to compare yourself to kids who are like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, I don't know who I am. There's like an empty vessel, fraudulent feeling to it. Yes. Like, how do I tell people I'm still figuring it out? Yeah. And when it came to finding yourself, especially when it comes to permission, when it comes to allowing yourself to, because the best way I can describe it is scary mm. and empty, mm-hmm. and you're kind of borrowing from things people like, but you can't wear it as your own yet. Mm-hmm. And people are like, "Why are you doing that?" Right? You're like, "I don't know. I saw a comedian. I like do it. Right. You know." Right. right. So you're like right. trying on these different things. When it comes to finding yourself, that that journey, which I think is so universal, mm-hmm. were you a conscious author of it? Were you? How did the the period of figuring out Because it's not like you don't have the resources to lean on and to tell you, Mateus, you're you're a kind human. You always were as a child. You're kind of on Mm -hmm. your own at this point. Mm -hmm. And so how did writing your identity happen? It,
1: It first took me... So a lot of it happened in this building that we're in right now, Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. It took me... Digging into my story, digging into my childhood and actually being able to name that the trauma of it, the the abuse that was in it, which are words that I still even have a hard time identifying with because they feel like really big words and there isn't any overt, quote unquote, abuse in my story. Um, You don't feel like you've earned it. Exactly. That's a weird place. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is not to like condemn my parents because my parents were doing the best that they could and to be able to then say but it wasn't good enough. And to be able to say this was not healthy. This was not good for me. But that takes a level of really digging in and then learning how to grieve and that's a process I'm still on. I don't know if that's a process that I'll ever stop doing. But but once I started being able to name that things weren't okay, yeah. instead of trying to make excuses or or say or that my parents were doing the best that they can, like that's a start. Absolutely, they were. I'm so grateful for what my parents did give me, and there's so much more that I needed. And so, starting to build relationships with people who are then able to start giving those things. Giving unconditional um, I don't know about unconditional love, but, but giving love in ways that actually love me for who I am as opposed to who I should be, being able to be myself and loved for that. There were corrective experiences, uh, helping to heal a lot of those wounds, wounds that I think may always be there, but almost a reparenting with yeah. the help of other people. So a lot of therapy yeah a lot of therapy Uh, a lot of my own work um i'm like i said i'm a therapist and and the way i'm trained is is we can't go anywhere with anyone's story if we haven't been there ourselves like we can't we can only go as deep as we've gone in our own stories and so if there are things that we've avoided in our stories we're going to avoid that with our clients there won't be healing there because we because we aren't willing to go there um And I feel like there's always those doors that we have to continue progressively opening up and and looking at the darkness, looking at the harm and the goodness both, um, and grieving what was lost.
0: Um, You're doing very public work. Mm -hmm. You're talking at conferences. You're doing the podcast. And um, I know because we're we're friends and I follow you on social media that you are writing a book. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you? When did you decide that you wanted to be public even though you're still working
1: through your own ideas? Mm-hmm. It was when I first came out. I, I came out in 2013. So I'd, I'd graduated from undergrad Decide decided... I I'd planned to come out when I was in undergrad and the school wouldn't actually let me. The administration were like, no, we're not ready for a student to come out because I had consulted. I wanted to do it by the rules. As book. in you're not going to walk? Mm, as in we won't give you a platform. So I wanted to, this is a long story. It's There was like student-led chapel services at the school that I went to, and I was a senior. Seniors led these, like got to speak at, at these services. And I was gonna do a talk on, and, and come out in that talk, and um, fully in accordance with what the school's policies were at the time, uh, but talk about, this is what my journey has been. Uh, but in order to do that, you, of course, have to have your speech approved. And and the school was, was like, absolutely not. Like, we, we don't want this. Um, and so because of that, I decided just to stay quiet and wait till I was go- out, of, out of the school to come out. So in 2013, I came out and on, in a blog post. And... In those few months between coming out and when i started blogging regularly which was in may or april so many people started reaching out to me of 2014 of yeah 2014 okay, yeah. uh reaching out to me saying this is my story too i have, have quote unquote struggled with this my whole life i don't know what to do and and i knew that there were kids back in the in the farm towns that I grew up in in Iowa who were who are working through these things. And my whole thought was, I don't want people to go through what I went through. Even though my experience wasn't particularly traumatic, I know there are so many people out there who are trying to figure these things out too and who are being told by their parents, their faith structures, their whole worlds around them, telling them that you cannot be who I believe you're created to be you cannot be a queer person and have faith at the same time and i just don't think that's the case so i was like i'll just start writing about it i'll start telling stories and and hopefully other people can see that there's at least one other person in the world who who's worked through or trying to work through these things and it turns out there was a whole community of people but yeah it was that was wild to discover <laughs>
0: It must have been cool to start to meet other kind of travelers on the road. Yeah, When it comes to getting through life, Hmm. what what are you keeping of the faith? What are the guiding principles that made you say, you know what? I'm not going to go find some other spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. There are things here that I want to have into my life. And what are those things that, I mean, it really is, I am a uh, scorched earth kind of person. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm generally like, oh, this doesn't. Set me and like it, like burn it. Yeah. There's a, a nuance to taking what you like and leaving the rest mm-hmm. that I think is part of my growth. Mm-hmm. Is to go, yeah. You know what? You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you you've kept and you said, no? You know what? I'm not going to rewrite this. I'm going to take this with me. Yeah.
1: So I grew up f- from the moment I was born being taught that. There is this divine presence in the world that we call God, who is foundationally love. And I believed that. And I still believe that. I think that's been kind of a guiding principle that anytime I encountered something, so I think all along this journey, I started encountering things that were telling me, like, w- that would, if they were true, it would mean that God is not love. And I held i think with a rock solid grip that this divine presence is love and so therefore that means i mean it took me years to figure some of these things out but therefore that means that these things that aren't loving aren't actually of god because I, I now currently i believe anytime we, we encounter love we encounter the divine uh, I, I think Brene Brown defines spirituality as that which connects us. Uh, I love that because mm-hmm. it it it's such a broad thing, but it acknowledges there's some sort of energy when people come together, and there's potential for for love in that. I believe that's the divine. I believe that's God. Other people call it other things. Uh, second thing for me though is is this idea that love became incarnate that. That love entered into the human world, um, and in my mind, through the personhood of Jesus, uh, to show us a way of how to actually love, of what love looks like. And so, my thoughts around Jesus and, and this idea of of death and resurrection, and, and all of those things, have have progressed as as I have. Explored and and done work, but that's another thing. Another thing that I hold on to is 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 love exists in humanity, uh, and I think that's what I I really like about the the Christian tradition. And this is not to say other traditions don't have this, but that idea of of love within the dust, the dirt, the daily life, that not just. It's not just this big concept. It, it is in flesh and blood. Those are things that are deeply important to me.
0: How do you give yourself permission to enjoy these things? Mm. Like to enjoy the love of a man or to... And this is something I don't think... I don't even know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I'm bi or hetero flexible, mm-hmm. or I wear a little bi-pin just so some confused kid, if he's in the gym and he, and he finds the masculine form attractive which i do it's so the exact opposite of females that would just it'd be weird to ignore that i I find it aesthetically attractive and i fooled around with guys and you know there's like it was a tough journey for me because it wasn't so binary Mm. and there was like places in fooling around where i wanted to stop and so it's like well then i must just only be part of the way right (laughs) you know (laughs) But I imagine for you, you have a similar, if not harder time, especially like, let's just say making love, Mm -hmm. that journey of it not being so full of shame and it Mm -hmm. to be okay. The parallels between being able to worship Christianity the way you want to worship and being able to have sex the way you want to have sex. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a common theme here and it's a permission or it's a letting go of certain things. I mean, it must have been a slow process how i guess the i think the easiest way to answer the question would to be when a when a young lgbtq person comes up to you and is having a hard time dating or loving what do you, how do you explain your own personal journey into that awkward
1: healing yeah so now i frame it in terms of self-compassion i i don't think along my journey i had that same if you'd asked me this five years ago, I wouldn't have answered the question this way. But when someone comes up to me, I, I think something I've learned is, is first and foremost, letting it be okay. That it's awkward. That it's, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and and that idea of, I should know what I'm doing. I, mm-hmm. Or I should be enjoying this. Uh, because this is the identity that I've taken on. Like all of those things I think ultimately take us away from letting it be what it is, and then learning. And I think that's a place of profound vulnerability to give ourselves permission to let us be where we are. So I remember the f- the first time I made out with a guy, uh, I didn't enjoy it. I, <laughs> I was like, "This is what I've been." I think I was 23, 24 My first kiss. So well after I feel like a lot of people have their first kisses and, and we made out and after we were done, I was like, that was not, that was not enjoyable. And then I was like, what's wrong with me? Maybe I'm not gay. Maybe this whole, (laughs) (laughs) maybe I've been like, what, what is going on? And, and learning. Well, I didn't have this insight at the time, but, the next one though, the next guy that I made out with was the fireworks was the oh, okay, yeah, I'm gay. Like, <laughs> this is uh, So the, the three the three stages of self-compassion are acknowledging what's actually happening, acknowledging present reality. So I am not enjoying this. This isn't the way. Can I pause for a moment? Okay. I'm noticing audio loudness just went up a whole lot they are so loud out there yeah should we pause i think school's on break right now let's go
0: yell at the kids <laughs> Yell at them. no let's keep going keep going okay yeah we're at we're at a campus yeah these kids have no respect people <laughs> <laughs> the
1: fir- so the first step of self-compassion is, is acknowledging actual reality and 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 then saying this is normal this is all coming from dr kristen neff's work uh Saying this is normal. So I feel uncomfortable. I'm concerned whether I'm actually gay or not. I don't know what I'm doing. So instead of trying to build up a bravado of, no, like I know what I'm doing. This kiss is going to be great. Like blah, blah, blah. It's acknowledging the vulnerability of it. Then saying this is normal. Connecting it to the fact that there's a common human experience that I'm having right now the awkwardness of a first kiss, the trying to figure out what, who I am, uh, and then committing to giving compassion and kindness and whatever we need in the moment. The, those are the three stages of, of self-compassion. And that's what I tell people now is, is let yourself be, acknowledge it for what it is, realize you're not alone in this. So many people are trying to figure this shit out. And then commit to giving yourself kindness, asking yourself, what do I need right now? to make this an enjoyable experience or or just take care of myself in this in this experience like what can i give myself um to be kind to myself that's how i coach people kind of through that that weird
0: awkward what are your own practices when you find yourself in doubt or you find yourself in shame or not knowing or what are the What are the tools or exercises that you do in real life when these things come up? Because it's—I don't think it's like a wound where it's like all healed. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's all. That's past. (laughs) You know. No. Uh. I do that self-compassion practice internally. Like I, 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 it can be done so quickly almost in like three seconds just this internal idea of, of scanning my body registering what am i feeling right now like i'm feeling shame i'm feeling uncomfortable i wanted this to happen and it didn't or this thing happened that isn't going the right way like acknowledging and, and actually acknowledging what's happening and then normalizing it but like, i i think that's something that it's, for shame especially is is being able to to notice when we're in shame check it off mark it as as shame what are these fucking kids doing out know. here i don't know
0: <laughs> all right folks we're going to take a little break and we're going to go <laughs> wait for this commotion to calm down people are real excited to be out of class okay people we have waited a little bit, and this is as quiet as these monsters will get. <laughs> Parents out there, this is where your hard-earned money is going. I'm interrupting podcasts. Mm-hmm. Matthias, when it comes to surviving, mm-hmm. I think your daily life um, has a little bit different forces in the world. For instance, uh, you must enc- encounter, as your show gets bigger, which it is getting, I've been watching it get bigger. hmm uh, you must start to encounter people who are vocally against what you're doing oh, yeah. or against what you're believing. Mm-hmm. You know, we joked earlier in coffee that like your childhood Christian contacts at some level must think that
1: you're leading an army to hell. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? I've been literally told that, yes, by my grandmother, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is a fun card to get. Which is a lot of power <laughs> to hold.
0: <laughs> what are the most useful things that you've learned along the way Mm -hmm. that we can share with with people who are also trying to survive in their own worlds about how to live in in hospitable lands and how to make the ground fertile and make life a a place to
1: enjoy yourself and enjoy who you are as you are. Yeah, boundaries, like that's the word that immediately comes to mind, are huge. And and I know I've already mentioned Brene Brown, but I, I like the way she defines boundaries as simply saying. So saying out loud what's okay and what's not okay. That's all boundary is. This is okay. This isn't okay. And and another thing that she says is, is resentment is a sign of poor boundaries. Uh, and when I heard that, that blew my world open. Because, and I believe you can take anytime you feel resentment, you can track it back to where there should have been a boundary. Mm. Uh, and so I've... Started paying close attention to my resentment, and over the past few years have have worked on setting up. Okay, so I I resent so and so for saying this to me. So next time they say this to me, I'm gonna say that isn't okay. Like and just be blatant about it. Of it is not okay when you talk to me this way. If we're gonna have a relationship going forward, this is what it will look like. Uh, you won't you won't send me an email that says this. Um, it's hard to do that <laughs> to tell people no. You cannot treat me this way. But that has been huge, and and then when I do get the emails from the random people who find me online and, and want to tell me that I should be living my life differently, I just hit the delete button. Like it, yeah. you don't need to respond to. It, it, it's one of. A few years ago, I was sitting in an event that, um, are you familiar with Rob Bell? Bob Bell? Rob Bell. Rob Bell, I'm not familiar Rob now. Bell, he, he does a lot of really interesting work around, it's faith adjacent. Uh, he used to be a pastor, um, but now does a lot bigger work uh, around humanity and, and, and being a creative person. I was at an event that he was putting on in LA, and... His wife actually got up on stage and, and said, you can spend, like you have so much energy in, in a day. So you can either spend that energy trying to catch people up to where you are, or you can spend that energy moving forward. And um, people will criticize you for who you are and who you are not. So you might as well be who you are. And I feel like that's what I'm learning how to do is being who I am and not catching people up to where, like expecting people to be at a certain level. If they're going to listen to my podcast, if they're going to engage with my work, you have to have some things figured out. If, if you don't agree with me theologically, I'm not going to work with you on figuring that out. Like that's not my job. That's your job. Come back when you're ready to to play in the space that I'm playing in. I used to try to build, build bridges and now me, I'm not me so too. interested and in And
0: wheelbarrow people along with me. Right. And try to pull people up. And right. Yeah, the more, I think the older I get, the more I'm realizing that like nobody can save me and I can't save anyone. Right. And nobody can change my life and I can't change anyone's. Yes. And like <laughs> I, I, uh, I draw this little life buoy sometimes. It's like my little exercise. I draw this life buoy and it just says, no rescue is coming. Yeah, and because I really want to just plop down where I am and wait for someone to save me. Mm-hmm. There's some big comfort. There's some big comfort in helplessness mm-hmm. and save yourself has been like such a powerful mantra for me. It's like, it sounds selfish. It's like, save yourself, mm-hmm. like get yourself out of this. Like you're going to have to be your savior today mm-hmm. and you're, you know, for me, like you're going to have to be your father. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to be a good parent to yourself and find little nine-year-old Sam, and who somehow believed in himself and believed in the world and believed in people, and make that little child proud of the adult that you're growing up
1: into. Mm-hmm. And I and I think some of for me, I think another thing I've learned in that is some of good parenting for myself is learning how to connect those that part of myself with other people who can be good parents so yeah that that sense of it's not it it is me and it's also not me it's like when i'm when i'm in this place when i'm in a shame spiral i know the only thing that's going to truly get me out of that is turning to one of three people and so parenting is then telling myself okay well you have to pick up the phone and call that person (laughs) It's self-sufficient and it's not. We need people. We absolutely need people, but we need those people that that our parenting selves can connect us with. When it comes to living
0: in the world and living your time here, which arguably we have a pretty short amount of time here on the planet. Mm-hmm. How do you want to live? What is like, I think for me, when I run into really big problems, it's because my ideal for myself, does not match my actions Mm -hmm. and so my ideal for myself is this person who is producing and trying to make the things that are in my heart like Mm -hmm. trying to bring things from the imagination realm into the real real world like Mm -hmm. as a creator Mm -hmm. and when i'm not doing that i get in a lot of pain and when you think about how you want to live what are the the things that you you want to be said in your obituary of this is how Mateus lived and this is what he did with his time what what does your ideal for yourself look like
1: healthy ideal mm-hmm. i should say so i have a tattoo on my arm um my only tattoo that says stay soft uh and it's and it's rooted in one of nairo wahid's poems uh stay soft it looks beautiful on you that I feel like ultimately sums up what I want my life to be. That idea of water is coming to mind, of of where it's soft and hard. Like it, it flows and moves, but there's a softness to it, but it also chips away at rock. That's what I want my life to be, is to be someone who softens in the face of hardship, who lets myself feel the hard shit that comes with that and keeps going just being an ordinary sized person Mm. and and letting that be okay like, and yeah there's there's something about that idea of I I have a professor who says this often like we're just ordinary sized people that gives me great comfort just like I'm just a little old me. (laughs) Yeah. And that's okay. I don't need to get bigger than who I am. I don't need to puff up. This is bringing Brown again. Don't need to puff up. Don't need to back down. Just stand on your ground. It's ordinary sized ground. I love that.
0: Yeah. I think one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten in life is from a a mentor like figure. And he was looking at what I was doing, which was staying in a job that I hated Mm. and glorifying it. Mm as my, my toughness. And he said, you know, your resistance is not a virtue. Hmm. Like your ability to resist pain is not a virtue because a normal, healthy person would feel that level of pain and just simply leave. Right, (laughs) (laughs) And somehow you've glorified making your own life miserable for the sake of some weird quality. That's like, I, there are things worth fighting and there are, there, are, there are things that are worth finding resilience mm-hmm. but sticking around in unhealthy relationships is not one of them <laughs> no
1: not at all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is
0: how I like to end the program and um, I want you to imagine if I was to pull out a phone mm-hmm. and I will say you got 60 seconds with 13 year old Matthias, Mm. and he's going to pick up some giant cell phone, whatever was available at the time, (laughs) but you're going to be on the other end, and you're going to be able to tell him 60 seconds of message that he'll be able to hang on to until he gets to your age now. Mm. What would you want him to know to help him through the next years of his life? There is
1: absolutely nothing wrong with you. You are normal, And that's, and that's okay. The next few years are going to be absolutely shitty. They're going to be so hard and, and you're going to face your entire world coming against you and making you feel that you are a mistake, but you're not, you're not a mistake. You're beautiful and and good and hold to that because you'll get through it. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Hey, so that's the end of this conversation. But if you don't want the conversation to end, you can follow us on social media on almost every platform. We're at HelloHumans.co, except for Twitter, which has an underscore CO. Our website is HelloHumans.co. We have great stories, videos, and the episodes live there as well. And for more of our guests, for more of any of our guests, I always post their social media, their books, their videos, their art in the show notes, which is another word for the podcast episode description, and it's available wherever you're listening. I promise you just have to click around. If you'd like to help us out more, there's a few ways you can help. Please share this podcast with your friends or people that you think would get value out of it. Writing us a review on iTunes is incredibly helpful for our ratings. And also, of course, this program is not possible without listener community contribution. So our patrons are our financial backbone of this product. That's how we manage to do this ad-free. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com/howtohuman. That's p a t r e o n.com/howtohuman. This is the How to Human podcast, a production of hellohumans.co. Until next time, have a great day.